0: And this morning, we are uh, taking one of uh, our Sunday mornings to, to celebrate and partake in the Lord's Supper. Uh, the Lord's Supper is a reminder to each and every one of us of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I like um, how, how we have, have developed this and done this over the period of time that we're taking a break out of the gospel of Mark because I love how we want to, this entire Sunday morning to build to Uh, taking of the Lord's Supper in a little bit. And so this is the Sunday that we call Family Sunday. We keep our kids here with us that they might um, be a part of this reminder and see the picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ as we take that. And it also just punctuates different places of where we are in the gospel of Mark. So we just finished last week the time where Jesus is in judgment. And we will begin next week looking at the beginning of his passion narrative. But this morning, we are focusing on the, the reminder of the gospel of Jesus Christ that comes through the Lord's Supper. And before we partake of the Lord's Supper, we always want to remind ourselves of what it is that it's to be a picture of. And so this is the morning where we simply focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I was praying about where the Lord um, would, would have us this morning, he took me to the book of Galatians. And I feel like the, the people of the Galatian church... Um, the, the brothers and sisters in Christ there, are such a good picture of who we are today. Though we might know the truth and the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't know about you, but I, I don't necessarily function that way all of the time. But we are each and every one guilty in our own rights and in our own ways of attempting to somehow live out of this, this functional disbelief that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. And so we wanted to try to supplement the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation in Christ and in Christ alone with something else. And the Galatians were guilty of this. And Paul is writing the entire letter to the, the church of Galatia, and he is, he's puzzled with them. Is, he is exhausted almost with them. He's, he's just brokenhearted because some people have, have come into the church and they're beginning to, to raise within the people of, uh, of Galatia a doubt in the sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're attempting to lead them astray into legalism and they're attempting to draw them back into the very thing that Paul says God had rescued them from in the first place. And it all builds to this place in, in Galatians chapter 4 that Paul summarizes it all beginning in verse 3 So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the truth and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you for your grace and for your mercy that is always sufficient. I pray, Holy Spirit, this morning you would open our eyes that we might see the ways that we oftentimes turn from the gospel of Jesus Christ and turn to insufficient means for the ways that we functionally forget the power of the gospel and that Jesus Christ is enough. Nothing that we add to our lives can add to the truth of the gospel and the power of Jesus. So I pray that this morning you would lead us back to that space and that place where we would trust in Christ and in Christ alone for our salvation and even for our sanctification. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love how Paul, when he teaches, he constantly brings the churches back to a reminder of who they are in Jesus Christ. Throughout Paul's letters, you'll see Paul, Paul follows this pattern that he, he teaches on who we are in Christ because who we are determines what we do. And so before Paul gets to the place where he starts giving us things to do, he first reminds us of who we are in Christ because the reality is each and every single day we struggle to remember who we are in Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul argues in the book of Galatians, that saved us. It's the gospel that is saving us. As he questions, you you came to faith and salvation, you came to salvation by faith. Are you going to be sanctified and set apart by anything else, anything less? And so Paul starts in verse verse 3 with a reminder to all of those who are in Christ of who they used to be apart from Jesus Christ. And in that, it is a declaration of who people are who are outside of Jesus Christ. Paul says we were slaves to systems of belief that only kept us from experiencing the freedom of God's love. He says that in verse 3, that we, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. He's going to talk a little bit later about that same thing. It's systems of religion, both within the law in Judaism, but then also the pagan world that is worshipping spirits and, and, and stars and astrological events, looking into those for what only Jesus Christ and the gospel can give us. Paul is specifically addressing the law and the power of the law because that's what people are being tempted to move back towards, to embrace this semi-Judeo way of life where they are adhering to Old Testament rituals and religion and laws. Whereas Paul is arguing for their freedom in that. And we were all, Paul says, slaves to those systems of self-reliance and self-righteousness that none of us have the ability, what in any way, to keep up with. Tim Keller thinks about it this way. He said, every single one of us fall infinitely short, not only of God's standards, but even of our own. Imagine if you had the conversation, you die and there you stand before the Lord. And the Lord were to take out a tape recorder that you had worn around your neck the entire life. And that tape recorder only ever turned on when you began to tell someone else how they were supposed to live. And it recorded all of your instructions and expectations of your children, or your spouse, or your friends, or your family. And you began, and God started playing that tape back to you. All of your standards of perfection, all of your standards of righteousness, would you live up to that? I know I wouldn't. Because as Paul writes, I know the things I'm supposed to do, and I find out all the time that I am incapable of doing it, but in fact, I do all of the things that I know I'm not supposed to do. And so these systems of self-righteousness fall far short. They're hopeless systems that lead us deeper into our separation from God. But they're systems that still serve as temptations. Thinking of Old Testament life, when the, the Israelites have been rescued from Egypt, what are they constantly complaining? There's always an Egypt that is a temptation to go back. If it was so much better in Egypt. We had this in Egypt. We had that in Egypt. There's always an Egypt that's wanting to pull us back. And some type of system that we can function according to is something that is very tempting for every single one of us to jump beyond the, the point of who we are to, what do I have to do? Just tell me what to do, Pastor. Just give me something to do, pastor. If I just had a checklist that I can check off, and I know that if I get all of these boxes checked, I'm good with God. That's what I want from you, pastor. And there's that temptation, and that's what the Galatians were tempting to go back to, and we're listening. And Paul says that is a hopeless place, and then becomes some of the one, most wonderful words in all of Scripture. I think my favorite word in all of Scripture is this one word. Three letters, but. This is what you are doing. This is who you were, but God did. Paul reminds them that God in his grace and in his time and according to his plan made a better way for his children. That God in the fullness of time sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. God's plan was to send his Son. The divine Father sent the eternal and divine Son, Jesus Christ, into the world for your salvation and for mine. Paul is articulating here that Jesus is fully God, sharing in the full glory and value of deity. And this is absolutely necessary for the gospel. Jesus must be God because only God has the ability to forgive sins. Only God has the ability to rescue and redeem his people. But this divine son was born of a woman. The Bible teaches that this eternal son, fully divine, humbled himself by clothing himself in humanity. So though Jesus was the divine son, fully God, he was born fully man. One person sharing two natures, fully God and fully man. And this too is necessary. He must be fully God because only God can forgive sins and only God can rescue his people, but he also must be fully man because only a man can stand for men. Only a man can be our substitute. Only a man can be our representative. And this one who is fully God and fully man was born under the law. He was born to the people of God who received God's revelation of Himself and his standards of righteousness. And Paul has repeatedly taught, even in this book, that the law was insufficient to accomplish our salvation. Instead, it actually exposes our inability to live up to God's standards. If we're incapable of living up to our standards, how in the world can we expect to live up to God's standards? And by the way, God's standards isn't good. God's standard isn't best. God's standard is perfect. Period. I don't care how good of a person you are. God's standard isn't good, it's perfect. And none of us live up to that standard. And so we need someone capable of fulfilling the law and righteousness and to do so for us. And this was the son that God sent for a twofold purpose one, to redeem to redeem his people. That impossible standard of the law and the legalism and self-righteousness that it breeds is a system of spiritual enslavement that Jesus came to rescue us from and that we must be rescued from. It's not a system. It's not a way of thinking. It's not a way of life that we have the ability to get out of in our own way. Paul says we were slaves to it. Jesus did this for us, and the way that he did this for us is by redeeming us. In Galatians 3, just a chapter before, verse 13, Paul tells us how he did this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's the notion that Jesus became our substitute. We deserve to be cursed for our disobedience, for our lack of faith, for our attempt to supplement what only God can do in his fullness. Jesus took that place that we deserve, that he did not, as he went to the cross. And there he endured the wrath of man as sinners and the wrath of God for sinners. That's just one side of the coin, though. He came to rescue us. He came to redeem us. But on the other side, God sent the Son to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The good news of the gospel isn't just that our sins are forgiven, it's that we are given an entirely new identity in Jesus Christ, such that we are no longer seen as sinners, but we are now sons. We are no longer slaves, we are now sons of God. And ladies, before you get really upset because he says sons here and not sons and daughters here, you don't want people to come into this and implement and say that this is sons and daughters of God. You want to know why? Because daughters got nothing. In this culture and in this day, the only people that inherited anything were sons. So ladies, what Paul is doing is he is elevating you to the place of a co-heir with Jesus Christ, co-equal to all of your brothers in Christ. You are as a son of God. Fully inheriting all that God has for all of his children, period. He's just earlier said there's no longer slave nor free. There's no longer male nor female. There's no longer Jew nor Greek. God has torn it all down. So ladies, you are considered a son, firstborn son of God by Jesus Christ's sacrifice for you. Don't let somebody tell you that this needs to be sons and daughters of God. You are fully born and adopted into the family of God as sons. Every single one who has believed in Jesus as Lord and Savior has been both rescued and reconciled and given a new identity in Jesus Christ. But where we struggle is in our sin. We live like functional amnesiacs. In his book, Saints, Suffers, and Sinners, which you can get a copy of, pick it up in the library, and I encourage you to, Dr. Emlett, Michael Emlett, writes this. In the midst of suffering and the temptations to sin, we are prone to identity amnesia. We forget who we are, and God needs to remind us again and again. In that sense, Scripture is an identity-forming communique from the Father to His children. We tend to forget who we are in Christ, and that's why we need a helper to remind us of that truth. And so God, in His grace and in His love, verse 6 tells us, did not just send His Son to rescue us and to reconcile us. He also sent the Spirit to be the one who is our encourager and our comforter and our helper to testify within us of our new identity. To be the one who is constantly there to speak into our ears and to our minds and to our hearts and to our lives who we are in Christ. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, he says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit is spent is sent to be our greatest comforter, always there to witness inside of our hearts of our identity in Jesus Christ and to remind us of who we are in Jesus Christ and in front of God. That we are sons and heirs with Christ because of what Christ has done for us. So verse 7, Paul says then, remember who you are, child of God. Remember who you are. That's what we're here to do each and every single Sunday morning. That's the entire and only purpose of my ministry. The purpose statement for my ministry is simply this, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ for the salvation of sinners and the sanctification of the saints, period. This large group gathering is for one purpose, to encourage saints And to call sinners to salvation by the consistent presentation and celebration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, period. I'm not here to give you your next five steps to your best life now. I'm not here to present you with some self-help motivational speech. I'm here to remind you every single week who you were, who you are, and now how you need to live in light of that, period. So if you're tired of hearing the gospel over and over and over again, we need to have a conversation about whether or not you're really saved because it's the gospel that is the source of our life. We need to be reminded each and every week of who we were, who we are in Christ, and be called to repentance and to confession and to faith and to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ to fall in love with Jesus all over again. Do you wanna know the key to transforming this church? You wanna know the key to filling all of these empty, church, all these empty seats? You wanna know the key to getting people who show up one time to come back the third, the fourth, the fifth, the 17th time? It's people passionately in love with Jesus, period. If you're looking for somebody else to show up to fix this thing, you will be waiting a long time. It's not about how charismatic of a speaker I am as your preacher, how talented Pastor Mike is as your worship leader, or an infusion of a whole bunch of folks that are excited and ready to serve. If God is who he is and has the power that he has, we are enough for him to use to transform this community of believers and to reach this community, period. So the answer is to start feasting on the gospel and falling in love with Jesus Christ because that is a community that is compelling enough to get people to stay. So if we aren't seeing people saved, the problem's not with them. The problem starts with us. So remember who you are, child of God. You are a son adopted, and set free. So stop living like you're a slave and embrace the power and the identity that you have in Jesus Christ to live in that identity. You are no longer a slave not only to the law and to religion and to self-righteousness, And to legalism, you are no longer a slave to the sin that has bound you and kept you in any type of of enslavement in its own self. You are set free by the blood of Jesus Christ, redeemed. There's nothing that you can add to it, nothing that you can do to supplement it, period. No amount of religious Box-checking is ever going to add to the sufficiency of the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus did everything necessary to come all the way to us in our sin. So it doesn't matter how many times you pray or how many church services you show up to or how many Bible verses you have memorized. You can't add, by your acts of righteousness, anything to Jesus Christ, period. But on the other side, Jesus does everything necessary to get you from where you are to where God is in his holiness, It's not about a life of I've got to pray and do this in order to get God to forgive me, period. It's about simply trusting in Jesus. No amount of guilt that you add to yourself, no amount of of suffering that you put yourself through, no amount of self-flagellation or spiritual self-harm adds to the wounds of Jesus Christ born for you on the cross. The journey of Christianity is to actively put away all of the temptation to add to Jesus. It's not Jesus and. It's Jesus, period. Remember who you are, child of God. That that came to you at the cost of the blood of the divine Son of God. To rescue you so why would you go back to anything less than the freedom that comes in the identity of Jesus Christ we need to be reminded of that you need to be reminded of that I need to be reminded of that again and again and again and again and the Lord's Supper is an opportunity unlike any other where we hold in our hands some physical manifestation and reminder and symbol of what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. The body that was broken on our behalf, the blood that was poured out so that we might live inside of a new covenant established by God through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, that we might be set free, that we might be called sons of God, that we might live lives in love with God in front of every single person around us because God has done everything necessary for your salvation. God has done everything necessary for your sanctification. God has done everything necessary for your glorification, the day that you will be set free from sin altogether and live with Jesus for eternity. So believe that today. Someone I'm going to invite you this morning to take just a moment and go before the Lord in prayer, confession and repentance, And ask the Holy Spirit this morning to remind you not only what God has done for you, but to remind you who you are in Christ. And then because of who you are, let him show you what you must do. If you are here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, now is the time to bow your head and trust in him to do everything that all of your best efforts will never be able to accomplish for you And believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. Go before him. It's as simple as in your heart, praying and crying out, God, I can't do it. I've tried again and again. But I know that I'm broken. I know that I'm hurting. And I need you to change that. So forgive me of my sins. Adopt me as your son. And set me free from all of this today. It's the most simple prayer of salvation I can think of. Go before the Lord now in prayer. Then I'll close us, and we'll sing a hymn, and I'll come back and lead us in the taking of the Lord's Supper.